It's great to have you with us from wherever you're tuning in from. For more information about Elevate Church or to contact us, head to our website, elevatechurch.me and take us wherever you go by downloading our Elevate Church AU app. We hope this message inspires and helps you to take your next steps in your journey. Hey, good morning. We are about to launch into week four of a series we've called Naked and Unlike the TV Show. What's happening here? I don't trust most of the knuckleheads that were up here, to be honest. (laughs) Unlike the TV show, uh, the riff on the TV show, which is a TV show I have not watched and uh, probably recommend you don't either, Naked and Unafraid is our series. And the big idea is, that is, is, is we're teaching about taking the risks and then experiencing the rewards of living a large, open, and expansive life. Um, it comes from, uh, the big idea comes from something that Paul wrote to the church in Corinth. So this is kind of like the theme uh, passage, a letter that Paul, now Paul's the, one of the heavyweights of the early church, and uh, he would write letters of encouragement and correction, and sometimes they were a blend of the two, which this slice certainly is. Let me take you to that, uh, this, this slice of what Paul wrote to the church in Corinth. He wrote to them, Dear, dear Corinthians, I can't tell you how much I long for you to enter this wide, open, spacious life. We didn't fence you in. The smallness you feel comes from within you. Now, your lives aren't small. Your lives aren't insignificant. Your li- you're not called to this planet for no reason, but you're living them in a small way. Now, I'm speaking as plainly as I can and with great affection. Here's what I want you to do. Open up your lives. Live openly and expansively. Now, right now, uh, Louis and I are in the midst of a building project at our uh, house. We bought several years ago, bought a two-by-one uh, house. Uh, and uh, as if that wasn't small enough, we uh, sliced the back half of the house or back third of the house off, and we're building an extension at the back. And so we've moved all of our worldly possessions into the, the, uh, the, the, the remainder of the existing house. And so we're currently living not only on a building site, but also within a 40 square meter trip hazard. And uh, it's pretty tight. It feels quite confined. It's, uh, I have uh, certainly kicked my foot on something and fractured several toes on more than one occasion in the last couple of months since we've been doing this. But here's the thing. Last week, our builder said to us, hey, we're, we're, we're really tracking along here with the build. Uh, my goal is to have it finished and have you guys moving in to the new, beautiful, wide, open, spacious extension before Christmas. And we were like, woohoo, awesome. Now, let me run a scenario by you that I don't want to tell you what to think, but I wouldn't be surprised if when I run this scenario that I'm about to run by you, by you, you would think, what? So just here's the scenario. Can you imagine just for a moment if just prior to Christmas, our builder, does this, jingle, 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 not, not Christmas bells, keys, and says, these are now yours, 
you can move in. It's finished. It's ready. The wide, open, spacious extension is ready for your habitation. If we said to him, yeah, you know what? I think we're just going to stay here. I think, you know, 40 square meters, I mean, you know, we've got accustomed to it. The, the fractured toes, you know, they heal over time. I mean, what a daft, daft decision that would be when we have been promised and handed the keys to a wide, open, spacious extension and move away from, move beyond this confined, small, current existence that we have. But here's the thing. Paul's saying that God's done exactly that for us. He's pointed it out for us. He's jangled the keys in front of us. And yet we still have to be the ones that make the decision to move beyond the fence, to move out of a small life, small thinking, small background, small goals, small ambitions, negative, petty, cynical, couldn't happen, never, never in my lifetime, and move into this wide open, spacious life. And Paul said to the church in Corinth, I can't believe you haven't done that already. Like it's just there. It's, it's on the other side of a fence. And so what we've been trying to do is not only paint the picture of the wide open space that's set before us, we're also trying to identify what might that fence be. And then if we can recognize it, then hopefully we can craft some kind of strategy and build up the courage to move beyond this fence, whatever that looks like for any one of us, because there's opportunities on the other side of that fence that we'll never experience unless we actually move and take a hold of them. Week one, Steve Hall, our friend, talked about risk exposure and the difference between dancing on the street or just looking at life out of the window. You know, comfort zones are overrated. That living safe is actually dangerous because we don't fulfill our potential and experience God's full purpose in and through our lives. Week two, I talked about abandoned smallness, that there's two versions of us. There's the mini me, and then there's the real me, the, the, the me that God's created us to become. And we have to actually put aside and stop listening to and give less attention to the mini version and the mini response and the mini perspective and move into growing from the inside out to becoming this large, open, expansive version of ourselves. And then last week, Steve talked about pushing past criticism, that the voice in here and or sometimes the voices around us tell us what we can't do, what we shouldn't do, what we would never possibly be successful at. So why bother giving it a go in the first place? And we need to push past that and listen to the voice of God and the promise of God and experience the rewards that God's got on the other side of the fence. Today, I want to talk about the need to own your story. See, by many accounts, I actually shouldn't be here, like right now. And I don't mean here on this planet. I mean like here in this role leading this church. Uh, because in some of you do know the story, and I'm not going to go take it too deep a dive. But a little over a decade ago, um, I was fired from a church that I was leading at that time. Now, I didn't, you know, embezzle money. I didn't sleep with the church secretary and any of that stuff. Um, the board simply decided after one year that, that they didn't think that I was the, 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 the fit that they were looking for. And so they, they moved me on. And um, I remember, you know, the next day I sent an email out to, to my friends around the world, just giving them an update. I didn't diss on the church. I just said, hey, listen, you know, finish my time at that church. Uh, would you please pray for me and, and pray for Louie and I just, just for clarity 
on the next, uh, you know, next step that we need to take, what that next chapter might look like, where, when, how. Um, and uh, one of my friends uh, that I emailed to sent me a response, which I'll never forget. He emailed back and said, you know, hey, Mark, thanks so much for the update. Sorry to hear things didn't work out there. Um, can I ask you, do you have like a sense of what you're going to do next? And I replied, yeah, 100%. I said, I'm going to lead another church. So I, I found, felt God calling me to lead a church when I was in my early 20s. And at this point in, in, in history, I was then 39, 40. Uh, yes, unemployed, but no less called. This was just a temporary <laughs> kind of detour. And I said, no, I, I'm, I'm going to lead another church. I just don't know which and when and how, but the, 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 the calling hasn't changed. And he said back to me, and he's an ex-military guy, so this kind of makes sense. He says, that is such a relief to hear because there's too many good people leaving the battlefield. But some people might have considered it to have been a reasonable response if instead of going forward with the call that God had given me, that I instead had said, no, nah, you know what? This church leading thing, really, it's not for me. I mean, those people did that to me. I'm never going to put myself in that position again. I'm going to go back to the corporate world. And, you know, you get fired from one, you just go and find another job. It's not, it's not as heartbreaking as, you know, people that you trust firing you. You know, and now I... I wonder if some people might have thought, had I chosen to go that route, might have thought, yeah, that's, that's fair enough. You know, you, 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 you don't want to put yourself in that position again. I understand that. I mean, can't blame you. But had I done that, had I chosen to say it's not fair, what they did was wrong, the scales of justice in the world are out of balance, had I, you know, I'm just, I'm done. I'm done with it. Had I done that, I would have actually given ownership of my story to those people, to that set of circumstances. Now, I couldn't change those people. I couldn't change that set of circumstances. But instead, what I could do and what I chose to do was to own the journey forward and not allow them and that to fence me in. And that's vital for all of us. You know, just because you didn't have a choice in what happened in your past doesn't mean you have no power over what can happen in your future. Yeah, the cards you were dealt were the cards you were dealt. So I'm not talking about denial. I mean, you look in the rear view mirror, they're there. Those things happened. Those words were spoken. Those circumstances didn't pan out. And you don't have any control over that. However, don't confuse the lack of control over your past with not having the ability to own your story into the future. Don't let that and them fence you in. And I want to read something that the same Paul, big Paul, uh, wrote to another church. Uh, and if you've got the Bible app, you can pop this uh, open. Uh, this, oh man, like I'm going to read it in a sec, but I can't wait to read it. But I'm going to wait. But I can't wait. But I'm going to wait so you can get it open. It's in Galatians. This is a, ch a church in a place called Galatia. So the, the letter is called Galatians, something that Paul wrote to the church in Galatia. In chapter 6, 
And I'm just going to drop one verse, one sentence, but man, get this into you. Here it is, Johnny, cue it. Verse five, each of you, oh, so good, must take responsibility, underlined, for doing the creative best you can with your own life. Doing the creative best, doing the, you know, one of the things that creative people, and by the way, we are all creative people, just some of us don't use it to its fullest extent. One of the things that sets great creative people apart from the mere mortals is that they can take the exact same set of stuff and turn it into something that will blow your mind. And you think to yourself, wow, how did they come up with that? And the reality is, sad to say, and I'll put myself in this boat, oftentimes we might've had exactly the same things right in front of us and we didn't get even close to coming up with the same thing. Because it's not always about what's in your hand, it's about what you do with what's in your hand. It's not always about the set of circumstances that's in your life because two people can have the exact same or very similar set of circumstances in their life, but one of them chooses to do the creative best. They take ownership, they own their story, and they choose to do the creative best. And their next chapter looks very, very different because they did this. They took responsibility for doing the creative best they could with your own life. I mean, imagine this, you're you're driving down the road, freeway, highway, whatever, and your car conks out and you think to yourself, great. And you coast to the side of the road and you're sitting there and you're thinking to yourself, well, this just is not fair. Why does this sort of thing always happen to me? Stupid cars should have just bought a horse. This, this, and after a few hours of you lamenting your circumstances, which haven't changed because all you've done is just riffed on how bad they are and how unjust they are and how cars suck, and especially yours. After a few hours, a policeman knocks on your window and says, uh, excuse me, sir, excuse me, ma'am. Um, is this your car? And you say, uh, yes, yes, it is. Uh, well, what seems to be the problem? Well, if I knew it! No, uh, sorry, officer, uh, I don't know what the problem is. I just know she no go-go anymore. And the policeman says, all right, okay. Well, uh, be that as it may, I'm going to need you to move this car on. It's, 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 a, it's a hazard. And you say to the police officer, well, why should I do it? What are you asking me for? And the police officer is like, what? Well, someone else should do it. And the police officer says, oh, you just told me it's your car. Yeah, and? And it's your responsibility. You didn't cause it to break down, but it is your responsibility to get it moving again. Not anybody else's. Well, that's not fair either. I don't care, says the man in blue. And here's the thing, he or she, the police officer, they don't necessarily require you to fix it. They simply require you to take responsibility for it getting moved and fixed. So sure, call roadside assistance. Sure, call a tow truck. But here's the thing, 
It's your responsibility to do those things. It's your responsibility to get that vehicle to a mechanic. To get, you didn't have to fix it. You do, however, need to own the responsibility of getting it fixed. And that's true for our lives as well. Well, it's not fair. No one's, no one's arguing with the lack of fairness in that circumstance. We get it. We didn't wish that on you. Sorry to hear that it happened. But here's the thing. Do not sit in your life parked, broken by the side of the road and not thinking that there's nothing you can do to move forward. There is absolutely always things you can do. And here's the good news. You don't have to fix your life by yourself, just like you don't have to fix the car by yourself. Because you're like, oh, I'm broken. I don't know how to fix it. That's okay. Because God doesn't leave us on our own and expect us to fix everything by ourselves. First of all, He promises to help. It's kind of good team matchup there. He puts us in a church. You know, following Jesus is not a solo sport. It's a team sport. And thirdly, He gives us the opportunity to access professionals, life mechanics, people who can pop the hood and go, oh, I see what the problem is. Let's work on that. Counselors and the like. But in the root of it and running through is the fact that it's our responsibility to own that. Because not... Taking responsibility leaves you there, wherever there is. Whatever caused you to be stuck there, not taking responsibility leaves you there. So here's a little simple principle to live by that I use and recommend. You ready? This is so good. So simple. Sometimes the simple things in life are the best, Reese. Here's a principle that I use and recommend. No victim... <laughs> I love this. No victim, no blame, no excuses. No victim, no blame, no excuses. And all I want to do in the time that we've got remaining is just drill very, very briefly into each one of these. No victim. You may have come across this. Some people, when... Things have happened to them, negative things have happened to them. They quickly discover that if they play the victim role, that they'll actually garner more attention and more sympathy, right? The problem with that, however, is whilst that added attention and sympathy might in the short term make you feel better, it won't actually make you better. Because you can't, if you choose to play the victim, you will ultimately are choosing to stay the victim. Because you can't be both a victim and a victor at the same time. God says, choose one. And whichever one you choose, your life trajectory will go there. So you can choose to play the victim, but in doing that, you'll choose to stay the victim. Now again, I repeat, you don't have to do the fixing by yourself. I'm not talking about denying the past. In fact, getting more clarity on what actually happened and, and, and what impact that's had is often very helpful because you, you, you can't deal with the circumstances, but you can pop the hood and deal with the aftermath if you can correctly identify it. But popping the hood and looking at what's broken is not the objective. That's merely the diagnosis. 
that you would want to then be able to move beyond and get things fixed. But, it, fixed. but if you play the victim, you'll stay the victim. Now, next week, we are baptizing somebody, another Dunkaroo, uh, next week. And uh, their story is very much about moving from victim to victor. So be here for that. It's going to be great, the story, and then obviously celebrating somebody getting baptized. And, by the way, spoiler, we have one today. Also somebody who chose to move from victim to victor, and they're getting baptized uh, as soon as I've finished preaching. No victim, here's one, no blame. Now, the thing about blaming, and, and parents, you know this, it, it's, it seems to start early, not long after Junior's first words are spoken, do they start to use said vocabulary, growing vocabulary, to finger point. You know, you're at home, Junior, maybe with a play date, or maybe it's your, you know, two, two of your own children, and they're in another part of the house, and, and things, things suddenly get very quiet. And you've discovered that quiet is often a very bad sign. It's a sign that probably Junior and their cohort is doing something they shouldn't. So you think to yourself, I'm better investigate. And you go in and you open up the door of that room and you see something that just should not have been done by a human in your house. And you say, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, who did this? And Junior says, well, me. And Junior's cohort says, well, well it wasn't me either. And you think, uh... Or maybe even some of you, you've had Junior in the room just on their own and you walk in and something's happened and you say, who did this? And Junior says, it was awesome me. I'm like, what? But it's, that's not a new phenomenon. In fact, it's part of our broken humanity. So right back at the beginning of creation, Adam and Eve in the garden, beautiful, unbroken un, uh, relationship with God and with each other. And God says, I've created this beautiful garden for you. You can enjoy it. I've, I've created it all for you. Enjoy everything about it, except for there's that one tree there. I don't want to, don't eat the fruit of that. I mean, everything else, knock yourself out. Go full-blown sizzler smorgasbord if you want. You can have seconds, thirds. No one's going to count, okay? Kind of Italian style. We don't count. We just, we applaud. Uh, however, they ate the fruit of that tree. And God comes back and goes, <coughs> excuse me, Adam, uh, what just happened? And Adam, he says, well, it wasn't me, which is true. It was that woman. And in fact, he doubled down. He said, it was that woman that you gave me. In other words, she's partly to blame and so are you. That's next level finger pointing right there. And so God says, really? Okay, hey, Eve. You, you, can you, you've got some explaining to do. What do you say for yourself? And she goes, and this one. She gives the classic Christian response. Was me. The devil made me do it. <laughs> um, no. The devil suggested you do it, but he didn't make you do it. But it begins as a means of avoiding getting into trouble or the consequences of getting into trouble. But if we carry that mentality, if we carry that approach through to our adult life, that will fence us in. It wasn't me. Well, it might, and by the way, sometimes it might not have been you, but that doesn't mean that you don't take responsibility 
But what happens next? And there's another aspect to playing the blame game that maybe is a little bit less obvious, but no less insidious. And it's, and it's the, the pattern that some people develop of blaming themselves. Now, it might have actually been your fault. So at the very beginning, yeah, you are to blame. You did this to you. You chose to do it. You chose to say it, whatever the it is. However, only sitting around inside your head, pointing the finger at yourself and making that your, your narrative and the extent of your narrative will fence you in. So yeah, recognizing, oh, I can't believe I did that. Oh, I can't believe I said that. That, that might be true. So yes, you were to blame. Now, stop playing the blame game and let's talk about owning responsibility and owning your story and moving forward. You know, evaluate what caused you to do that dumb thing. Evaluate what caused you to say that dumb thing. Evaluate it and, and bank the lesson as you move forward. Bank the lesson so you will hopefully be less likely to do that again, less inclined to say that again. Oh, yeah, I remember last time. Okay, don't. Okay, but only sitting around blaming yourself will cause you to get fenced in and be stuck there. And that really overlaps with this third one. No victim, no blame, no excuses. Excuses make us feel better, but they don't ultimately make us better. Now, those of you that are married and you want to stay married, let me, give you, let me throw you a bone here. <laughs> Pay attention, Funwell. No, no, he, no, 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 no. He's a beautiful man. His, his name actually means the face of God. So, you know, he's got that going for him. Uh, I'm just saying, pay attention. Like, I, I love you, man. I'm going to throw you a bone. Not because you need it, but maybe, maybe one day you will. Uh, everyone, listen. Stop, stop pointing the finger at Fanwell. Jeez. There is, a di <clears throat> there is a difference. This is going to help you in any relationship, by the way. Even workplace, parents, kids, all, all of the above. There is a difference between giving an explanation and making an excuse, okay? In fact, often giving an explanation is one of the most helpful things you can do because the person that's recognized or, or, or been, you know, identified that you've done something that was a bit daft or something's done to you that, that's caused you to, to be a bit broken and, and, and a bit listless, they don't always have the context. I mean, you do because it's your life. You know exactly what's going on under the hood, typically. So actually, offering an explanation can be one of the most helpful things you do. But, it, but, if, but, but don't get confused between an explanation and an excuse. They're two very, very different things. This one, excuse, this is about deflecting responsibility. This is about uh, being on the defensive but, but with a gun in your hand. <laughs> it's like, so you say, like, just, okay, slow your roll. Take a deep breath. You, yes, you've been caught, whatever that looks like. And you say, you know what? Right now, let me just share a little bit of context of why I allowed that to happen or why I did that or said that. And, and try to get some understanding because that actually typically brings people closer to you. 
Whereas making excuses tends to actually push people further away from you. It's good, right? Glad you listened, huh? Jeez. Me too. And by the way, look, the loudest yeah just came from Louisa. Because I, because I was a very slow learner with this particular differentiation in the early years of our marriage. You know, I tell people we'd be married for 24 years, happily for 19. Because the first five years I lived camped out in this trench lobbing excuse grenades over at the innocent victim who was stupid enough to marry and move in with me. In that order, by the way. No victim, no blame, no excuses. Own your story. I'm thrilled and, and, and honored to be able to uh, show you a slice of one of our new friend Michael's story. How about you check this out? My journey begins when I was in my mid-teens and I just felt that there was something wrong with this place, this earth. That the way we're living is not the way we're supposed to be living. I could never put my finger on it, but. So I ignored what I was feeling and went through my life, just working and doing what everyone does and just thinking, you know, this is as good as it gets. But then we had a series of unfortunate events that happened starting in 2011. Um, my partner's son got hit by a car, hit and run victim, left with a massive brain injury, so we had to stop our jobs and care for him. And then uh, from that point, there was a series of disasters, I'll call them. There was like seven deaths that happened from friends and people close to us. And then um, I had a heart attack in 2016. And then the year after, a year after that, my father committed suicide. Um, so yeah, the world just stopped making sense. Everything was just like, you know, what's going on? Basically, I called out and said, what's going on? What, you know, why, is the thing, why is it like this? And then I started looking for answers and <laughs> boy, did I get them. So yeah, I read a book called A Course in Miracles. And I got to a part in there about two brothers being in the same room, having never seen each other, but just now for the first time having seen each other. And then something inside me just went boom. While I was reading that book, Course in Miracles, it was like, it felt like Jesus was standing right beside me and, and talking in my ear. That's what it felt like. And um, yeah, I can't describe, the only way I can describe the feeling is it felt like I had a crown on my head, but it wasn't just on my head, it was in my head as well. And my whole body was buzzing. And I, yeah, it's just been revelation after revelation ever since then. And Jesus come into my life and, and flipped me right, right side up. So, well, I went to Sunday school when I was a kid. Um, that's about it. I've picked up little bits of the Bible here and there from movies and stuff, and, you know, but yeah, I've never actually gone and, you know, gone to church regularly or anything like that. I've only just recently started reading the Bible, so. And it says that Jesus got baptized and if you want to follow him, do this. So here I am now. Okay waiting to get baptized. We really hope you got a lot out of this message. If you live in the Perth area, we'd love you to join us for one of our live experiences. For times and directions, as well as information about our great Elevate Kids and Elevate Youth environments, head to our website, elevatechurch.me. 
And to partner with us to reach more people by giving financially, head to our website elevatechurch.me and also download our Elevate Church AU app. 